The reading today is taken from Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. And would you pray with me as we begin? Oh, Father, we ask you for your help. Lord, and we praise you that you give it. And we're not alone even when it comes to understanding your gospel or seeing the glory of Jesus. Father, you pour out your spirit richly to open our eyes to see and to savor and to delight in your Son. So God, would you do that right now? Would you open our hearts? Would you help us to see the life that is truly life, lived by faith in Jesus Christ? We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, welcome to mid-September. Mid-September, of course, is that time in our lives when after a long summer, uh, we are now getting back into routine again. Students are going back to UBC, kids are going back to school, uh, you know, those of you that took the entire summer off are now going back to work. Uh, I don't know if anybody did that, I'm jealous if you have, um, but the rest of us are getting back to normal, and in the same way that life begins a routine again this time of the year in all our normal lives, it also begins a bit of a, a return to normalcy in the life of Christ City Church. So the Sunday after the long weekend, we call our launch Sunday. It's a time when we think about the new ministry year really picking up speed again, really beginning again. Uh, we start our new teaching series uh, in this time of the year. So not this Sunday. We have a one-off this Sunday. But next week, we're going to begin a two-year series in 1 Corinthians. And we're really excited about that. And we'll be beginning uh, that. And of course, we'll have breaks uh, for the summers and for uh, Christmas and for Easter and the things that we usually do in our church calendar. Um, but we're also beginning this time of the year our classes. So you can go onto the events page of ChristyChurch.ca and you can see uh, what is listed there, what classes are available, things like Alpha, the Women's Bible Study that was announced earlier, but also upcoming courses like how to read your Bible, how to pray, and things like these that will be offered here at Christ City Church. It's a time of the year that as a church, we encourage people to come back together and join in in community if you haven't been part of community. So it's a time to, to join a community group. It's time to get involved if you're not involved yet in the life of the church. Uh, we'd love you to be involved in more ways here uh, to really plug in. And as I've been thinking about this Sunday, I've been thinking about it really as a new beginning. As we think about this as, as a new beginning, uh, kind of coming back into to something that approaches a more regular way of life as Christians together, I've been thinking and praying about it. And I've been asking God for wisdom to know, how should we focus our attention right now, at this moment, and this time? And the passage of Scripture that keeps coming back to me is Hebrews 11. Again and again and again, the Lord keeps directing my heart to Hebrews 11. It's the chapter we'll be looking at this morning. It's a famous passage. It's a really famous passage in the Bible. I was talking to somebody this morning already at Christ Church. He said it was one of their favorites. It's also one of my favorites. Uh, you know, another reason to be preaching it this morning. 
And it's this passage that was delivered nearly 2,000 years ago as part of a sermon. The book of Hebrews is really a sermon that was written down on paper. And it's this incredible message that was given to a people that were new followers of Jesus, living in the ancient time when Christianity wasn't all that popular, uh, helping them to sort out how to live their lives of faith in Jesus in a difficult world. And it's this passage that I think can be a great benefit and a joy for us this morning. As in this passage, the author calls these people to something awesome, something truly magnificent and glorious. He calls them to this eternally meaningful, meaningful, joy-filled, and purposeful life of faith in Jesus. He calls us to an eternally meaningful, joy-filled, and purposeful life of faith in Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're here just because a friend invited you, if you are just curious about Jesus and want to know a little bit about what he's like, or whether you're full of faith in him. I don't know where you're at, or whether you're maybe just a little tired uh, in your Christian walk. But this message is for you. It's for you. My prayer is that in this season of regathering, God would use the words of Hebrew 11 to encourage us to put our faith fully and completely in Jesus. To live that faith out for him. To walk that faith out in obedience to him. So we want to look at faith in this chapter and how we can live it together in community here. And we're going to look at three points this morning in Hebrews 11. We're going to look at what is faith, why we should live this faith, and then how we can live this faith together here at Christ City Church. So we'll jump in right away to our first point. What is faith? What is faith? We'll look at verse 1. The author of Hebrews writes this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, of course, we know definitions are important. Uh, Every preacher who is trying to define and explain things to the congregation has to define his terms. And what's important for us right off the cuff as we look at this passage is that the definition of faith that he provides is probably not what we were expecting. It's different in many ways from our common conceptions here in Vancouver in 2021 of what faith is. So I want to begin not with what faith is according to the Bible, but to just address some of those misconceptions. What are the things that faith isn't and that the author is not talking about here? Well, biblical faith, according to the author of Hebrews, isn't belief that God will make my life always happy and always good. Biblical faith is not the faith of the Trinity Broadcast Network, if you guys are familiar with that, of, of Creflo Dollar and of Joyce Myers. A faith that says to be a Christian is to be healthy and wealthy and blessed. For one thing, that definition of faith would be unrecognizable to these early Christians because their lives weren't like that. For another thing, even today in global Christianity, think about the Christians in Afghanistan who this morning are being pursued by the Taliban. How could that definition of faith have anything to do with what the Bible teaches about their faithful lives in Jesus? It's not the definition of faith. Biblical faith also isn't a set of ideas that you believe. It's not just a set of things that you ascribe to. You say, yeah, I believe those things. Biblical faith can't be lived like your driver's test, right? Where you put the right answers down once upon a time to get your license. Like, oh, look, 
you know, I, I'm a driver now. But there's this great chasm, this gap between the tests that you wrote and the way that you drive today, right? Like biblical faith can't, can't be like that, where you got the right answers once, but you live very differently now. It's not just a set of ideas that you subscribe to. Biblical faith is also not a personal and a private faith. This is one that's really popular in Vancouver. We're a spiritual city, especially in Kitsilano, in our neighborhood. We're a spiritual neighborhood. And this kind of faith is synonymous with the word spiritual. Right? A little bit of a mix of, of Buddhism, perhaps, some just Eastern mysticism, maybe a little bit of Wicca. You know, I, I'm a person of faith. That's not what, what biblical faith is. It's not a private devotion that can be applied to any sort of religious practice or spiritual practice. Now, the faith the author of Hebrews is talking about is not any of these things. So what is it? We'll look again at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This verse is actually notoriously difficult to translate, and it's because of some of the words that are used here in the Greek language. That word assurance is an interesting word. It's one that in the context of the time was a word that would have been popular among Greek philosophers. So a really ancient context, a long time ago, not familiar to us today. What the author is really saying is that faith is the substance of the thing that we're hoping in. Faith is the reality of the thing that we're hoping in. It's kind of like this. I'll give you an illustration. I'll come back to explaining it a bit more. If I told you, that I love you, does it mean that I love you? Well, you'd have to wait and see, wouldn't you? Right? If I kept asking you out for lunch and then I'd always insist that you pay, right? If, if I was always unavailable, you couldn't get a hold of me whenever you had to move, right? Uh, you know, what would that say about my love? No, the substance of my love would be seen in the actions that I take in the day-to-day. The substance of my love is seen in the actions that I take in the day to day. And real love must be proved in action. In the same way here, biblical faith is the substance of our hope and our trust in the God of the Bible. Biblical faith is the substance of our hope and our trust in the God of the Bible. And it's seen in the actions of our lives that demonstrate what we're hoping and trusting for. It's seen in the way that we live. It's always a lived faith. It's always a faith that puts its money where its mouth is. And it's this life of faith that the author of Hebrews wants his readers to embrace, wants the people he's preaching to, to grab hold of and to live. And no matter what you have to sacrifice to grab hold of it, he wants you to know it's worth it. It's worth it. No matter what you leave behind, grabbing hold of this biblical faith, trusting in God in this way, it is worth it. Take hold of him and live for him. This is a life that is purposeful, fulfilling, full of glory and meaning. And he wants it for you. And he wants it for us. And he goes on to persuade us. He shows us not just a definition, but actually he only has, he's got this one verse of definition at the beginning. Then he's got 35 verses of examples. 35 verses of examples. He really wants to drive home. This is what this life looks like. It's this joyful rallying cry to what biblical faith is. And he takes these examples from all over the Bible before the time of Jesus. And also in a little period of time 
called the intertestamental period between the two testaments or two covenants, the coming of Jesus, uh, from the life of the Jewish people who were faithful to God at that time. And I'm going to read this passage of Scripture to you now, all of it. So this is very strange. We don't really read this much scripture in a gathering usually, but we're going, to do it. we're going to do it today because I don't want you to just hear from me. I want you to see in the Bible what this faith in action looks like. I want you to see it. And it's okay if you're new to Christianity or you don't know a lot of the names that are in this passage. That's okay. If you're not familiar with all the stories, uh, you're going to get the gist of this life of faith that takes action as it hopes and trusts in God. So look at Hebrews 11, and I'll read it with maybe just a couple comments. <clears throat> now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. God was pleased, that word commendation is talking about, the way that God was pleased with this kind of active faith and obedience in him. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable gift, a sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without this biblical faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Isn't that a great example of faith? You can imagine Noah out there in the dry, arid climate, building an ark according to God's word that seemed insane, <laughs> but putting his faith and his hope and his trust in God in action. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Ur, by the way, where Abraham was from, was 12,000 kilometers from Canaan. <clears throat> 12,000 kilometers. Abraham, all he had was a little bit of a taste and an understanding of the goodness and the incomparable glory of this God named Yahweh. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. And he was willing to move from Canaan 12,000 kilometers to follow him. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was hungering and thirsting for something more, for something more. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Sarah was Abraham's wife. And since she had considered him faithful who had promised, 
Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Grace City, in the story of the Bible, this family of Abraham is so important. Because in the story of the Bible, God looked at this world with all its destruction and chaos due to sin, and he had a plan to begin redeeming it. And he started all of that work of redemption with a family, with the family of Abraham, the family that would grow into the Jewish nation through whom we would receive uh, the word of God and finally through whom would come Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior who God has provided for us. And it all began, it all began with these simple, ordinary people, sinful, ordinary people, falteringly trusting and hoping in God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. They could go back to 12,000 kilometers. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. So think about Moses' life just for a second here with me. <clears throat> this is a, the time when the, the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham, were now in slavery in Egypt. And the king's edict that he's talking about was this, this command to kill all the Hebrew males, all, all the Jewish boys who remained. And this people, these parents, they're like, no, we don't fear you. We put our hope and our trust in God, and we're going to preserve the life of our son. And Moses ended up being adopted by the royal family. So there was no more wealthy, powerful family to be part of in the ancient world than the family that Moses was part of. And yet, what did he do? He was hungering and thirsting for something so much more than that. He wasn't content with the wealth and the treasures of Egypt. He turned away from them in order to follow God. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw the Lord God. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. 
By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, all these people, they lived out their faith. They lived out their hope and their trust in God in action. They followed him. They trusted in him. They didn't receive what was promised because what was promised was the fulfillment that only came through Jesus Christ. They tasted, they delighted in the goodness of God as they followed him on their journey, but they looked forward to inherit along with all of us the goodness and the glories of God that are only ours in Jesus. See, according to this passage, lived faith is the only true faith. That means that according to this passage, lived faith is the only true experience of Christianity. I have a friend that, that I've spent much time with in my life, and uh, he was once baptized as a Christian, and then a few years later, he was baptized as a Mormon, and then a few years later, he became a prophet of the oneness of the universe that I don't understand fully. And, and when we talk about Christianity, he'll talk about, oh yes, you know, my experience of Christianity. And I'll say to him, my friend, you didn't experience Christianity. You didn't. You couldn't have. Because the Christianity, that the faith that the Bible talks about that is authentic biblical faith is a faith of action and obedience to God. A faith that is committed to him, submitting to him. But clearly, biblical faith is difficult. And there are reasons why my friend went to Mormonism and then to the oneness of the universe after Christianity. Right? The examples that the author of Hebrews gives in Hebrews 11, they're not examples of true faith that are spa days and endless vacations in the summer. Right? These, are, these are difficult examples that he gives us of true faith. So the question that we need to ask then as we turn to our second point is this. Why should we, why should we in this room embrace biblical faith? What's the motivation here? We'll look at verses 14 to 16 and consider our second point. Again, I'll read it, 14 to 16. For people who speak thus, and the thus that he's talking about are, are saying that they are strangers and foreigners on earth. It's people who say this about themselves, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, that there's a home ahead of them somewhere. And they've been thinking of that land 
<clears throat> from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. <clears throat> if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So why live this faith? For the reward. Live this faith for the reward. For the reward. Every single person in Hebrews 11 who sacrificed to follow God, sacrificed something that they considered less valuable in order to have something of infinitely greater value. We live this faith for the reward. These people were not masochists. They weren't gloomy martyrs. They tasted the goodness of God in relationship with him, and they looked forward to the fullness of his promises fulfilled for them. And they were willing to risk everything and lose everything in their lives to have that. They were joy-filled pursuers of a better life, a life that they found in following God. They were in it for the reward. And friends, we're no different than they are. So I don't know what you're living for, but I know that you're in it for the reward. Whatever it is that you are hoping and trusting in, I know you're in it for the reward. But just like these people in Hebrews 11, you don't really know how it's going to work out for you. You don't know if 40 years from now, the pleasure you're pursuing, the money you're filling your life up with, the power you're seeking, the success you're trying to find, if it's going to leave you satisfied and fulfilled. And we all have to make a choice. Will we put our hope and trust in the God of the Bible or in something else? And the author of Hebrews, he wants us to go all in for God to bet everything on God and following him in obedience. Why? Why could he possibly want that? Why does he have the audacity to say that? Because of one thing, because of one person. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus Christ. See, all of these examples of faith, they crescendo to a final example in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We kind of stop short. There's one more example of his faith that he has saved to last. Look at it with me. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who've lived in faith and followed God in faith, let us also then lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ City, no matter what you might have to give up to follow God in an active, lived faith, the bold claim of the Bible is that it is worth it. It is infinitely worth it. Why? Because it's what we see in Jesus' life. Because what we see in his life, because in his life of faith in God, he sacrificed everything. 
in obedience to the Father. And he suffered. Why? For the reward. He was glorified, exalted, vindicated as a king of kings, as a savior of the world, as the one who's bringing a new creation into a world of sin and death. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ City, a Roman cross meant a slow, naked, filthy, suffering death that was designed to dehumanize you in every way that was possible. All of the genius of humanity was applied to a crucifix to, to make up this awful, awful torture instrument. But Jesus, it's remarkable, he goes to the cross with joy. I wonder this morning what suffering you're going through that you would do well to look to Jesus in, to see his joy in the darkest days as he knew the glory of his Father, as he looked forward to the reward of his faith. And what is that reward? And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He suffered the greatest agonies and he received the greatest reward for his faith. You see, Jesus was crowned with thorns, only later to be crowned with glory. He was falsely accused, only to rise again as a judge of the earth. He was condemned to death, only to be resurrected as the life giver. He was betrayed, suffering under the hatred of fellow man, only to be raised into the eternal love of the triune God. This is Jesus. And this is the example we have of true Christian faith. See, the good news the author of Hebrews wants us to know is that because of Jesus, there is a better life to live for. Amen? There is a better life to live for. And the good news this morning is that all that Jesus has accomplished, all that he has won, all the glory that he has found in himself is now available to you and I through faith in him. He offers it to us as a gift of grace that we can share in with him. And all he asks in return is our trust, our faith. Whatever we may sacrifice, we can do it with joy because we'll share in Jesus' reward. You're going to share in that reward as you follow him today in this life. You're going to share in it in the joy of knowing God. There is a Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who is poured out on his people when we turn to Jesus in trust and in faith. And he's with us. And the life that we live now of faith here in our lives is full of the presence of God. He's with us in our suffering. He's empowering us by that same spirit to do good in this world, to be part of an eternal kingdom that will never end. He's full of inviting us into this meaning and this purpose to be part of something bigger than ourselves here in Vancouver. It's gloriously good. And the reward is even better later because when Jesus returns, we're promised a day when sin and death and sadness and sorrow and evil and wickedness are gone forever. When God himself wipes away the tears from our eyes. When we see Jesus Christ in person, 
And that should have new meaning for you now that we live in COVID days. To be with him in person forever. So Christ City, here's the question. Where is the substance of your faith? When you look at your life and your bank account and your calendar, when you consider your daydreams, what are you trusting and hoping in? You see, God's inviting you to join with myriads who've gone before you in something better. A life that is real life. Full of meaning and glory. And the good news for us is that no matter who you are, no matter how imperfect you are, no matter how sinful you currently feel or how much you think you're struggling, you can begin to live this life of faith here together with us today. I want to just look at that together, how we can live this faith together today in our last point as we wrap this all up. Because the good news is that God didn't create a salvation for us in Jesus that we have to live alone. He created one for us to live together as a community of persons in a church. And it's awesome. We're going to talk about a couple practical ways to take part in this. First, if you've never done this, this is an opportunity this morning to give your life to God in obedient faith by trusting and hoping in Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't ask for perfection from you. What he's asking for you is repentance and faith. He can save you. He can make your life new. He can free you from the things that you are weighed down and burdened by and can never seem to get out from under. He can give you purpose and meaning that you long for and you can't seem to find anywhere else. Won't you turn to him in trust and faith? I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. Reach out to me, Brant at ChristCityChurch.ca. We can talk, we can have a coffee, grab me after the gathering. Second, Christ City, we can grow in this active faith by taking a step deeper into community here at Christ City Church. You see, there's a lot of expressions of this partial, unbiblical faith that just look like peripherally being part of something that's happening in Christianity. It's not that real, biblical, deep faith. I think that there's a beautiful challenge here to, to dive in, take a step deeper into being part of what's going on here. I think one of the ways that you could do that would be by joining a community group and becoming vulnerable. So maybe those of you that aren't in a community group, it's one of the ways, it's not, it's not a biblical thing, we have to have community groups, it's just one of the ways that we're trying to obey the Bible together here at Christ City Church. But join one. If you have joined one, let me encourage you a step further, become vulnerable in one. Become vulnerable in one. The thing is, we're not pious, perfect people here at Christ City Church. If you get to know us, you'll see we are deeply flawed, sinful people that are really struggling in life, but we found an amazing Savior to hold on to. And we'd love you to hold on to him together with us by faith. What it's going to take is a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of honesty about who you really are, a little bit of honesty about how you really deeply need Jesus. Let's also be honest together about our needs. I admit that I struggle with this. 
And I think that we can grow together by living our faith together if we start to share honestly, I have a need that you can meet. Won't you help me? I think that's words, those are words that can grow us together as a church. Won't you help me? There's some other ways that we can dive together deeper into community, though, than these. I think one thing we could do is to make it our goal when we gather together on Sunday mornings to welcome the people that come. To look out for, for not just the new people, but just the people that are sitting alone. I think people sitting alone at Christ City Church should be an emergency for all of us. You know, the only reason you should be able, to, able to, to get away with sitting alone is if you really just want to sit alone. <laughs> right? And you can you please say that if you do want to sit alone. But otherwise, let's gather together. Let's welcome people in. I think this year, uh, one goal that you could have um, would be to show hospitality to somebody new here in the church. Invite somebody new over that you don't know. Somebody here in the community. Have them to your house for lunch. Even do something crazy. Come on Sunday mornings with part of your Sunday afternoon cleared and nobody filling it up. And look for an opportunity to invite somebody to come. Another way that we can grow in community is by praying for one another. Let's pray together for one another here in the church. When we're talking, let's share our prayer requests. And as you share our prayer requests, don't just say to that person, oh, I'll pray for you. Say, let's pray. I think that's a big difference. Not just, oh, I'll pray for you, but let's pray. Let's stop and pray right now. I think another way that we can do this is by signing up to serve if you're not yet serving here at Christ City Church. There's awesome ways for us to be involved there's many ways that you can be part of what's happening on a Sunday morning and beyond. Um, and there's ways that you can be part of this. Reach out to gareth at christychurch.ca if you're interested in serving. I think bottom line, I would love it if this community became an Ephesians 5.32 people. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because the thing about being a family and growing in community is that we're going to bump up against one another's rough edges. And that's going to require grace and forgiveness and perseverance and reconciliation. Third, we can grow in community, living this life of faith by sharing Jesus with others. We are a church at Christ City that is a network of neighborhood churches that is committed in our DNA to planting churches. We want to plant churches. We want to share about Jesus with others. But the only way for that to happen is if we as a community are committed to hospitality to our neighbors. So let me encourage you. Don't just pass your neighbors in the garden or the hallways. Invite them to your house for dinner. Have people in your home. As you pursue these people, let me encourage you, make it a goal not just to have them in your home, but to get yourself invited into their homes. Because you're only going to be able to do that if you've actually pursued them in relationship. It's a good goal. Make that a goal for between now and Christmas, between now and the new year. Another thing you can do is invite them uh, to our community groups because every month what we're hoping to do with our community groups this year is that one of those weeks, talk to your community group leaders, will be reserved for a community time, having a meal together, just fellowshipping, getting to know one another, love one another, but also inviting our neighbors in who maybe wouldn't come to a Bible study, but would come to get to know us. So consider inviting them to a community group. 
Fourth, we can grow in faith in God, this active faith. And this is most important, I've said the best for last, by learning what he says in his word. Because you can't obey, you can't follow a God that you don't know. He's revealed himself to us in his word. So I want to encourage you, read the Bible every day. Read it by yourself. Read it in community. Participate in the community group, community group discussions that will be happening. Read the text beforehand before you get there. Come and read and learn the Bible. Another way you can grow in Scripture is by preparing your hearts to come to a Sunday morning gathering. Sunday morning gatherings, by the way, are a Saturday evening decision. Isn't that true? Because to come here is a lot of sacrifice. But if you start preparing your heart Saturday evening, you're going to be ready to come to hear from the Word of God. We sing the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. Come here ready to learn and to grow. Christ City, this fall, here's where I'd like us to go. I'd like us to join with everybody before us who has lived these radical lives of active faith and obedience to God. All who've come before us, all who are across the globe, global Christianity, living together for the glory of God. I'd like us to take a step together to do it, to increase in it in our own community. Just imagine with me, what would it look like if even this small group of people here in Vancouver committed to living active, obedient lives of faith together? How would God use that to shape Vancouver, to shape our neighborhood, to bring hope and life and joy to a world that is so suffering in sin and in death. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to live lives of faith in you. And we confess, Lord, that to do this, we need your Holy Spirit. Father, we're not even able to respond in faith unless you help us. And yet you want to help us. You're willing and able. And so we ask, would you pour out your spirit to cause us to respond in faith to your word? God, would you change us? Would you change our lives this year? Not because we got a promotion, not because we got the relationship we always wanted, Lord, but because we began living more seriously for Jesus. Oh, Lord, we ask that for his glory for our good. In his name we pray. Amen. So we're going to respond in a a few different ways now as we continue worshiping the Lord. So I'm going to invite you to stand and the band will come up and they'll continue leading us in worship and song. And in just uh, a moment, we'll have our communion celebration together. And then also you can continue responding as an act of faith and obedience Um, by putting uh, your resources where your mouth is. There's a give table out in the back, and we would encourage you, if you've not made a habit of giving to the Lord as a sacrifice of worship and praise, that you would consider doing that. If you're new to this church, just exploring it for the first time, that's not for you. Don't worry about giving. We just welcome you. We're so glad that you came as a visitor uh, this morning. Now, our communion, uh, we will be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me just say this first. If you are not yet somebody who is putting your hope and your trust in Jesus, I would encourage you not to participate in communion with us because you'd be saying something about yourself that's not true for you yet. Because in this meal, we remember the way that Jesus has died for us. 
that his life has been given so that I can live, that I can be freed from my sins and forgiven. But if you've not participated in that way in faith in him, then it's not true for you yet. For the rest of you, would you join me in reading um, from 1 Corinthians 11? And then when you are ready, as the songs begin to play, come down to the front of these aisles where the ushers will be serving uh, the communion packets. And they're, they're strange COVID-friendly packets, so it might take a little bit of getting used to, to figure out how to open them up. But I, I promise it is possible. Uh, you just need to apply yourselves. You're smart people. They'll be good. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, one of our expressions of faith is hoping and trusting again and again in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And right now we're going to do that together. So I'd encourage you to come forward. Remember that his blood was shed for you. His body was broken for you that you could be forgiven and have new life.